Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for October 13th, 2021. Got a few independent books and uh, some Marvel books to talk about. And then I'll run down a list of some of the other titles that you might want to be on the lookout for. So kind of a, a smaller week in terms of independent books. There wasn't a whole lot that jumped out. And then one of our favorite books that we read uh, actually got delayed. We just found out uh, it's called After Dark. It's from Aftershock Comics and it's a kind of a horror anthology, I guess. So not the worst thing in the world that it's delayed till closer to Halloween because they're kind of spooky stories. We'll talk about it when the time comes, but yeah, I just kind of was looking forward to talking about it on this episode. But uh, anyway, let's go ahead and, and dive right in. Uh, and, and before I do that, I guess I should mention uh, if you're looking for any DC reviews, keep in mind that Rocky from Comic Boom and I do DC Spotlights on Tuesdays, where we get into spoilers and talk about the stories in depth and break it down and analyze everything. So if you're looking for uh, reviews of DC stuff, go check out yesterday's episode. Remember, there are spoilers, as opposed to the new Comics Wednesday episodes, where they're spoiler-free. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in, and I guess I might as well start with a... Uh, a Marvel book. This is one that a lot of people have been waiting for for a long time. It's Immortal Hulk number 50. It finishes up the epic Immortal Hulk story from Al Ewing. Uh, Joe Bennett handles the art, has uh, the pencils, I should say, as he has throughout. We have Ryu Jose and Bellardarno Bravo on inks, Paul Mounts on colors, Corey Petit on letters, Alex Ross covers. And I, I don't know how I feel about this one. You know, um, and I said right from the beginning, while I found Immortal Hulk to be interesting right from the beginning, because it's such uh, such a departure from anything anybody's really done from the Hulk before. And Al Ewing, you know, when I talked to him at New York Comic Con a few years ago, he was saying how he went back to the very first Incredible Hulk cover. And there's that question mark on the cover that says man or monster, right? And that's really what he wanted to explore. So that's cool that he goes so far back. Uh, but, you know, you guys know I'm not really a horror guy. And especially when you talk about the Joe, beautiful Joe Bennett art, great line work, beautiful colors from Paul Mounts, great inks, adding textures and whatnot from Jose and, uh, and Bravo when he was on, on the book. But it's just not my thing, you know, especially body horror, um, which, again, illustrated wonderfully. It, it doesn't really get me that excited. And if we're talking about the Hulk, I, I always, and maybe it's because in my youth, I was a big fan of the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk TV show. So my favorite eras of the Hulk are where he's kind of on the run. People are after him, whether it's, you know, Thunderbolt Ross and the Hulk Busters or whoever, you know, and he's just on the road trying to help people uh, or the more super heroic stuff, like toward the end of the Peter David run. Um and th this was something different and it was fresh and it, it was still good storytelling, technically very good comics. And so it did pull me in, even though it wasn't necessarily what I, what I wanted, but I do feel like because of the success of it early on that Marvel kind of stretched it out and it felt at times like it was moving very, very slowly. And the way everything wraps up in this final issue is fine and it makes sense, but I end up thinking, well, this could have been done. 20 issues ago if this was the ending that was was always planned and maybe part of the reason i'm a little disappointed in the ending is knowing what's coming next right 
we know we're going to have a Donny Cates, uh, Ryan Stegman, I think is doing the art on it, Hulk. And now, now it's Cosmic Hulk. Now he's out in space. And I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm ready for just a normal Hulk book. Uh, I guess it's Donny Cates and Ryan Otley. I think I said Ryan Stegman. Yeah, Ryan Otley. So I don't know. I'm just reg- ready for a regular old Bruce Banner Hulk. Um, because at the end of the day, this Immortal Hulk read is really, really dense. There's a lot of huge concepts that Al Ewing gives us here in terms of, you know, the Hulk as a system that Bruce Banner's a part of and, uh, you know, the Joe Fixit persona and the devil Hulk and the child Hulk and they're big ideas. And you, you have to invest in this run. You have to really put something of yourself and read it really closely. This isn't a, I feel like a book that you can sort of read on the surface uh, and enjoy a lot of what's here um, because so much of it is, is convoluted and complicated and there's big, crazy ideas. And so for that reason, at times it felt a little slow, like I said, but also a little pretentious, um, which, you know, I, maybe I sound a little hypocritical because I always say that I love comics that make me think. Uh, and this is certainly a comic that you could spend a lot of time thinking about, but there's such a thing as too much of a good thing, if you know what I mean. And uh, I don't know. I think sometimes this verges gets a little too close to that line where it takes itself too seriously. Cause at the end of the day, this should be escapism. Um, but again, I, I can't fault the art. I can't fault the, uh, the tone of the book. Um, and I feel like it is something that's really special. It will stand the test of time. But I could see why some people won't like it because, again, you've you got to put a lot of yourself into it. And, and even though I've read all 50 issues, uh, and with the exception of issue 50, I've read all the issues multiple times. Every other issue I've read, uh, I, probably the first 15 issues, I've probably read four or five times. Um, and then again, just because it's so dense and then it, it got a little slow, I would forget what was going on. So when an issue would come out, I'd have to go back and read like the previous three or four. So uh, suffice it to say, I've read all the issues at least twice, most of them four or five times, uh, with the exception of this last one, which is 80 page giant. So having said that, ha- knowing that I've read all of them, I still feel like there's like, I don't know that I have a complete grasp on the story. Like I need to go back and read it. I mean, 50 issues, some of them double sized, be pretty hard to read it all in one sitting, but I feel like I need to go back and read it all again knowing what the ending is now and try to understand it better. But, but even then I, I think some of the ideas, I mean, Al Ewing pulls in these crazy ideas of, of religion and mythology that are just, I mean, you got to invest in it. You really do. And I, I want to understand it better, but I just don't know that I have the time. Um, or I, I don't want it to feel like homework, you know? So I'm going to be real curious to see, what other people think, people that are smarter than me. Maybe I need to watch some somebody, some scholar who gets it much more than I do, or somebody who's an incredible Hulk fan and all they do is read Hulk, might be more invested in it, might have more time to break it down. And then I'll go and check it out and be like, oh, I didn't think of that. That makes more sense. So I don't know, your mileage may vary, but I'm glad I read it. I'm, in a way, I'm glad it's over, even though we're not starting another era of Hulk that I'm excited about. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely going to miss the Joe Bennett art for me. That was the kind of the highlight of the, of the book. So, uh, 
anyway, let's move on to the first book Jay's going to talk about. It's another Marvel title, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man number 76. Now, remember, Spider-Man's pretty much coming out weekly now with uh, a whole ton of collaborators that are working on it. They call themselves the Beyond Board because the story that's being told is, is Beyond. Uh, that's the subtitle. So this particular issue is written by Zeb Wells. Patrick Gleason is the artist. Marcio Menez on colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. Then we have Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, Saladin Ahmed, Patrick Gleason, and Zeb Wells as the Beyond Board. Covers are by Arthur Adams. And uh, so we know that seven issue 74 of Amazing Spider-Man finished off the Nick Spencer run finally. And then uh, issue 75 was the first, was chapter one of Beyond, the first uh, issue of the new story. And this is this is chapter two. So uh, unfortunately, Jay wasn't here to uh, to talk about uh, number 75 when it came out. But give us your thoughts on 75, Jay, and then real quickly, and then talk a little bit about uh, 76. Well, with uh, 75, I think most people were expected that uh, Parker was going to take like a seat. So I wanted to see how they're going to do that while you know ben kind of takes over but it's just uh it's interesting how it's a corporation that bought the rights to spider-man so he really can't be spider-man that's why ben is spider-man so like okay and it was trying to get the i guess the blessing from peter to be uh spider-man at 75 and the end of that issue we know there was a battle going on with the ufo uh foes the ufos yeah yep and he was exposed with uh uh poison and radiation ben was fine because the suit you know is made by the corporation beyond so he was uh, protected but peter wasn't so this story just kind of shows uh, the aftermath of the damage that's done to peter and um as ben tries to figure out if he really wants to stay with the company and continue it but he still wants you know peter to say hey do it it was interesting uh issue because it's i want to see how they're going to get peter out i guess and put ben in and i see how they're doing it so um you see peter trying to fight with uh I guess the disease he has trying to get through it. And Ben kind of just, you know, does take over for a while. It was good. I liked the artwork. It was bright colors and, uh, you know, the lines are a little bit, I guess we always say a little thick, but I kind of enjoy that. Um, but we'll see where it goes from here though. But it, now I kind of see where they're, where they're going with the storyline. I guess Peter's going to try I guess, you know, take care of himself while Ben takes over, I guess the role of Spider-Man. Yeah, I was, well, first of all, Patrick Gleason art, you're right. Using a little thicker lines. Uh, I mean, he, he's a, incredible artist he's he's like a chameleon he can draw in so many styles and this is very much a clean style so i did like the art um i i thought the same thing that you did uh when we first heard that about this beyond story and how ben riley was going to take over as spider-man well how are they gonna are they gonna be three spider-men we have miles peter and ben uh or are they gonna take peter off the the table somehow but but like you said maybe he's not at, off the table as as we thought at least not in terms of the story, right? Um, in terms of being out in the real world, yeah, he, he's not around because he's maybe in this coma sort of fighting his own demons, which I like this idea because one of the things I didn't like about Nick Spencer's run, especially as it got toward the end, we weren't getting Peter's voice at all. We, weren't, we didn't know what Peter was thinking or what, it, there was so much other stuff going on that there wasn't room for that. So hopefully we're going to get a chance to see Peter deal with the trauma um, that he's been had in his life lately that he's been dealing with uh, or not dealing with. It's just been piling on, I guess. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm down for a Ben Riley story. I haven't read one in a long time. Um, are you, I know you read the clone saga back in the day. Are you a, a Ben Riley? <laughs> are you a fan of Ben Riley? or? 
Uh, he's not a bad character. You know I mean? He's likable. It's not like you can hate the guy, you know? Um, he just wants to try to do the right thing, you know? And that's what I like about him. He's got that pure heart like Peter has. And that's why I liked it because, you know, he's working for the corporation, but he doesn't feel right unless Peter says he can do it. So I, I kind of like that concept that, you know, he was going to do it, but he wants to make sure it's okay with Peter first. How do you feel he's, about thus, the- he's the Spider-Man. He's, you know, he's just taking over for yeah. a little while. How do you feel about the fancy costume? I mean, pretty slick, all the stuff it can do. Well, yeah, it kind of makes sense. I mean, when Spider-Man first came out, you know, way back in the day, I mean, he just had a cloth outfit. Okay, I got that. That's where the villains were normal. But as we progress with the superheroes and the villains, I mean, they get more elaborate with their uh, weaponries. Like, you should kind of keep with the times. I mean, Iron Man does it all the time. Why not Spider-Man? Well, yeah, and he had, <laughs> he, had that, he had that Iron Spider costume for a while, and he's in good with Tony. You wonder why he wouldn't have done something. So let me ask you this. Do you think at the end of this Beyond story, I mean, we all know that Peter's going to come back to the Spider-Man role and Ben will be shuffled off into his own series or just disappear for a while. You think Peter gets the fancy Beyond costume? And would you want uh, that? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think he needs it to protect himself, you know, because, you know, uh, like I said, the villains are getting more powerful. You got to have something to protect yourself. But I'm not going to be surprised if Peter takes the sideline and like spends a honeymoon with the Mary Jane and he comes back with a kid. That's what I'm expecting. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on. Next book I'm going to talk about is, let's see. I guess I'll talk about this one. Uh, independent book. It's been pretty solid up to this point. Well, actually, it's been outstanding up to this point. Uh, it's Ordinary Gods, number four. It's written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark. The art is by uh, Felipe Wantanabe. Uh, we have colors by Frank Williams, letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, if you're not familiar with this one, it's it's basically the story of this other realm, this other plane of existence, whatever you want to call it, where these very powerful beings, for lack of a better term, they're gods, uh, and they each rule over separate lands, um, lands that are named after things like anger or wisdom or strength, um, almost like personality traits. Um, and some of the gods decide at one point that they're Maybe they're a little too arrogant and they're a little too, uh, they're, they're undeserving. I'll put it that way. They're undeserving. They shouldn't be lording their powers over everybody. And so there's a civil war. There's a schism between the gods. And uh, basically one side imprisons the other half uh, on earth. And that's supposedly them being pris- imprisoned on earth, um, which basically their bodies are killed and they're reincarnated into living uh, beings on earth. And that's what sparks evolution, because when they're first put on Earth, they're like trapped in one celled organisms because that's the only thing on our planet. And then because of the power of their spirit, I guess, as they're as, you know, one organism, one celled organism dies and it's the the God is that was imprisoned there is reincarnated and it sparks evolution to where they're eventually they're in multi celled organisms and then like, you know, amoeba or what have you and then whatever fish and then birds and then mammals and you know all through up through evolution and so now obviously they're they're trapped inside humans um but the thing is they don't know they don't know that they're reincarnating over time um but eventually it comes to the point where some of them awaken and they realize what's going on and that they've been in prison and they're trying to get back to their original realm to fight the war um and so the ones that are self-aware are trying to awaken the others that are trapped on earth so they can all come together and use their power to, to return. So it's a big, big epic story in scope. You know, there's elements of, of Highlander. There's elements of, of the matrix. 
Um, so it's a, it's a very interesting story. And when in the first issue, we're introduced to a, a young boy who's 20 and he's supposedly the reincarnated leader of, of his faction. And the first few issues are all about his uh, awakening and being recruited and being convinced that this is actually a real thing. And now he's teamed up with a couple of the other ones and they're searching for the last member of, of their side of the gods to, uh, to awaken. So this issue takes place in Paris and they're searching for the last member of their group. Meanwhile, um, his sister, Brianna, is actually sort of like a, a jailer, if you will. Like she's um, sort of housing the spirit of, of somebody else as well. And uh, she's in pursuit of him. But at the same time, the powers that be back in their world don't believe that she's worth it. She's, they don't trust her to, to bring uh, the leader in anymore. So they're actually after her too. So there's a lot of different plot threads. It's a very political book. Um, and it very much uh, moves at a very fast pace. Um, and it kind of needs to, because it's such a big uh, story in scope, like I said. So really enjoy the artwork, the colors, uh, the artwork by Felipe Watanabe. Uh, wonderful uh, body language and storytelling, uh, you know, from panel to panel with his transitions and and great um, emotions in the face as well. And there's usually some back matter that's uh, that's interesting as well that kind of uh, fleshes out the the story. So if you're looking for something that's sort of a big, sprawling story with like politics and um, twists and political intrigue and that kind of thing. Uh, I would definitely recommend checking out Ordinary Gods. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Darkhold Iron Man number one. Uh, this is called Tales of Suspense. It's from writer Ryan North. We have Guillermo Sana on art, Ian Herring on colors, and Clayton Cowell on letters. So what's interesting about this whole Darkhold story, uh, and I didn't know it was going to play out like this. We have the Darkhold Alpha, and we have Darkhold Omega at the end, and then I read all the titles. I, actually, I, I don't think I read off all the titles because I didn't want you guys to know who was on that Darkhold team because I wanted it to be spoiler free. But in between Darkhold uh, Alpha and Darkhold Omega, we're going to get these uh, Darkhold, in this case, Darkhold Iron Man. There's going to be other characters as well. And they're basically sort of like what if stories because we saw in that if you read the Darkhold Alpha, that what happened was the members of the team that were put together by Scarlet Witch to stop um, what Dr. Doom started and trying to, to release the demon uh, Sithon, um, those members of the team had to, they were supposed to read a little bit of the Darkhold. So they kind of went a little bit mad so they would understand and be able to access the realm of Sithon, but they read too much and they turned into these like evil versions of themselves. Uh, and it was a great final splash page with an evil version of Iron Man and, and the rest of the members of the team. So what these one shots are apparently is, okay, look at this evil version of Iron Man that exists. And if Iron Man would have become this evil version, how would that have happened? How would his origin have been different? And so that's what this Darkhold Iron Man story is. It's, it's like, what if Iron Man had become evil? evil incarnate and so that's what the the story is so what do you think of this jay 
I thought it was good. I didn't, uh, I kind of knew what was going on with the storyline, like you were explaining, but, uh, I was like, okay, well, we'll see what they do with this. The artwork was like dark and I felt like it was re- reading like, uh, one of those, like, Tales from the Crypt comics. You know, it was really dark. The art was kind of not clean, but it was just perfect tone for the, uh, the story. It was dark. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, just the, uh, I wish it was like a, an adult rating because I think uh, the liquid that was coming out of 20, I think should have been like blood or whatnot, but it was like a white liquid. I guess they didn't really, I guess they can't show blood, I guess. So I'm trying to get that, but it was good. I liked it. It was just creepy. And what I, I enjoyed about it the most was we we're looking it through uh, Pepper's eyes. Like she's telling the story. So you're, you know, you're following her as she goes and t- says uh, what happens from the beginning to the end. And, and I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought it was one of those books that sends shivers down your spine, man, because it it's not for the faint of heart. You're right. Like the art suits the story very well. This isn't a book where you'd want like photorealistic art of what's actually going down. Because <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. The blood would have made it creepier. But I mean, if you'd gone photorealistic, you want to talk about some body horror. So, yeah, it, it was it was an uncomfortable read. But if, you know, fascinating to think what what if right what if tony had done something different with the armor that would have led down this path so yeah if you're a fan of of dark hold which you know again the tone of this is is very dark um but when with what the dark hold is supposed to be you know you read the book you go kind of mad and evil you know this is exactly how you end up with that with that evil version of tony stark so great job by the creative team on that one uh, all right. Up next, I'm going to talk about Deep Beyond. Uh, and I've, I've talked about this book from the beginning, and uh, I've been singing its praises because it went from, you know, this sort of tropey, typical disaster, post-apocalyptic story where the world's poison, the waters, the oceans are poison, the air is poison, and there's little pockets of humanity uh, living under domes. And, you know, again, not the most original story, but it grew out from there to become this sprawling sci-fi epic uh, that involves other dimensions and uh, and you know immortal aliens um, to the point where all the political stuff that was sort of hinted at in the beginning was sort of left behind, and I I was left thinking, well, I wonder why they even talked about who the leader, you know, president, as it were, of of um, what society has left, like what, why do we care what, about, you know, her machinations and whatnot. But in the last couple issues, what we've learned is um, all of it's kind of been set up like the, this whole excursion into the, um, the other realm, um, the interaction with the aliens, it's all sort of been a, a setup for, um, for some reason or other, we're not, we don't hundred percent understand how the government knows what they know or why they sort of puppet string these people to go there and, and what exactly they're, they're trying to find out. So uh, again, just like the book has throughout its entire existence, just when you think, you know, what the story's all about uh, the creative team manages to bring in other layers. And uh, the story just continues to uh, impress me. It's so large in scope um, I'm just fascinated by it. So, um, I, I don't know for whatever reason in our, our, uh, press preview that we got, there's no credits page. So I'm trying to remember, um, 
I know it's written by Mirko Andolfo and David Goy. Uh, I think it's Andrea Bricardio, I think is the first name of the artist, Andrea. Uh, Bricardio uh, is the, does the line work. And then Barbara Nascenzo does the colors. And I, I can't remember who the letter artist is. I apologize for that. But uh, yeah, this, this book continues to impress me. The scope of the story um, continues to grow as it has throughout, just when you think, okay, I think I know where the story's going. I think I know what the whole point of it is. They add in extra layers. And uh, I mean, I, I just think it's fantastic. And if anybody hasn't read it, uh, I would think that reading this all together as, as one uh, epic sci-fi story is going to be pretty good. I mean, this is issue number nine. I would think based on how it's been paced out and the way the story feels, maybe we get 12 issues because it definitely feels like something special. If we got more, I'd be all, all in for that uh, as well. But I've got to think we're going to get at least 12. But great book, beautiful art, wonderful dialogue. Another one where uh, I've read every issue and I've been following along, but it does get, you know, between the aliens being kind of immortal and the scope growing, it's not. Uh, I don't want to say it's not easy to follow because you, you can follow it pretty easily. But I, what I'll say is this, when it's all said and done, when I've read the whole thing, I'm really going to look forward to going back and reading this all uh, in one sitting or you know, pretty close together, all 12 issues, because I think it's a series that in subsequent reads, you're going to get more out of it, especially once you have the whole story, then you'll go back and read the whole thing and you'll see seeds planted early on. Things will make more sense. Um, so I think it's one of those series where there's going to be value in subsequent reads. Uh, and I don't hear enough people talking about Deep Beyond. So that's why I continue to mention each new issue as it comes out, because it's really great. Uh, okay, next up from Jay, we have Iron Man number 13. It's from writer Christopher Cantwell. Art is by Kafu, colors by Frank Diarmada, and letters by Joe Caramagna. Uh, in this one, we saw last issue, Tony Stark finally reached Dow 2, which is Galactus's ship and Korvac reached it as well. And Korvac's trying to steal the power cosmic because he wants to remake the universe into a very boring, uh, what he thinks is a tranquil existence where everybody will just be these sort of four-legged crystalline beings and there will be no war or disease or strife. And uh, he thinks that's paradise. <laughs> so not exactly my idea of, of paradise, but uh, what do you think of this one, Jay? Well, uh, I'm not a huge Iron Man fan, but the, the last couple of uh, Iron Mans that I got from me, I read, and the article was uh, really good. I just kind of got, got blown away with the art. It's very detailed. The colors are perfect. Um, like I said, I'm not an Iron Man fan, but I was wanting to say, hey, let's just read. And it was actually, the story is really good. I, uh, I enjoyed, like I said, the artwork. I just think it's funny how they got, like, what is it, Frogman out of all the characters? He got yeah. that guy. It was like, why that guy? I was like, yeah. okay, let's, let's do this. But I like this because, you know, Tony's pretty much banged up and, and I guess he might have a concussion because he uh, says that he's got a little, uh, you know, uh, bleeding in his brain. I'm like, OK, that's not good. But, you know, he's a fighter. And this one shows, you know, how uh, much of a of a leader he can, he can really be, a, you know, a good leader by getting his uh, crew together to, to you know stop this bad guy. The ending um, I enjoy because I, I want to know what happens next because it's like, OK, I thought he, you know, he was winning. And all of a sudden, not so much. I'm like, oh, man. It's good storytelling. So I'm, I'm in for the next uh, next issue, definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he got so hurt in his first fight with Korvac when his neck got broken. He's stuck in the armor. It's the only thing keeping him alive. Um, you know, that's kind of an old trope with Iron Man, but it, it works here because the whole idea that Christopher Cantwell wanted to explore was how far Tony has drifted from what he was originally, you know, and kind of the, what I think is the golden age of Iron Man in the, in the late eighties and early nineties from like, say issue one fifty ish to like two fifty or 300. Um, you know, he's become so much more than that with pulling in influences from RDJ portrayal of him in the MCU and whatnot. And so what Christopher Cantwell wanted to do really was, was tear Tony down so he could build him back up at, kind of get back more to the roots of the character um so yeah there's a little bit of the the weakness that tony has with uh, addiction um and this idea that that he isn't as great as he thinks he is you know the whole arrogant um uh, kind of self-deprecating robert downey jr portrayal like i said that that's never really who tony was and don't get me wrong um i, I did not want Robert Downey Jr. to play Iron Man and I didn't think it was going to be good. And then I was the first person to say I was wrong when I came out of that first Iron Man movie and went, okay, he took it in a different direction. And it's not the Tony Stark I know from the comics, but it worked. Um, but I, you know, when people go in to read the comics, I, I don't know, Marvel just, they always do that. They go and whether they say they're doing it or not, the movies inform the comics and then the comics tend, you know, whether it's the costumes or the portrayals of the characters end up, dovetailing more into what the movie stuff is but again that's if you go back and read iron man books iron man issues or, or runs from before the mcu tony doesn't act like that at all um and so i like the fact that christopher cantwell who grew up reading a lot of the same era of uh iron man that i did is getting tony back to those roots and you really see that in this entire arc up to this point that he's he's tearing tony down um, he's, he's forcing Tony to look at himself and, and confront those things about himself that he's ignored for a long time. that are sort of the inherent character flaws of, of who he is, um, so that he can build them back up. And what I'll say about the ending of this issue is this is a hell of a way to build them back up. Like, I, I like Jay said, I, I'm very, very fascinated with, with what's going to happen next. Because what happens in the in the final panel of the story um, could be both the best thing that ever happened to Tony and the worst thing that ever happened to him. Because Tony Stark is a heroic person at his core, but he's also a flawed character at his core who who has uh, who has issues, you know. And so it's like if you if you're always striving to, I don't know, like have a billion dollars or something, you know, and then you finally get a billion dollars, it could be a good thing if you make the right choices, but it could also be the worst thing that ever happened to you. If you make the wrong choices, you know, maybe you overdose or, or, uh, you know, hurt a lot of people by doing things that you shouldn't, uh, but it could go the other way and you could use the money to, to really help a lot of people. So, you know, it's that whole idea of, uh, you know, the best of you and the worst of you and, what could happen. So can't wait to see what, uh, what Christopher Cantwell does next. And, and you're right about the artwork too. Fantastic artwork from, uh, from Kafu. Uh, all right. Let's see up next. I'm going to talk about 
uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man. This is issue number 31. It's written by writer Saladin Ahmed. Christopher Allen does the art, Guru EFX on colors, Corey Petit on letters. Um, Miles has been kind of put through the ringer lately with the clone. Yeah, he had a clone saga of his own. Uh, the clones that the assessor uh, created that sort of broke free from the assessor's control and tried to confront Miles because they were just mad that they weren't going to live. And Miles was because they were flawed clones of him and they didn't think that was fair. Um, and so now that that storyline's over, Miles gets a chance to just take a break, hang out with his girlfriend, try to have a quiet night sitting on some, uh, sitting on a rooftop when they get attacked by somebody and they don't know why until the end of the issue. And when that happens, there's a bit of a twist and it's not quite what you uh, expect. And beyond that, I can't say anything about the story because this entire issue is one action-packed battle with Miles and his girlfriend in a fight against the guy that's sent after them. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not going to spoil it, even though it's right on the cover of the book. And if you've seen the cover, you'll know exactly who uh, I'm talking about. So really fast paced, really fun. Uh, I like that we're getting back more to the action oriented miles. Not that I don't appreciate the sort of deeper stuff that Saladin Ahmed does. Uh, I think Saladin Ahmed is, is probably my favorite writer uh, of miles. And I know it's pretty much just between Saladin and Brian Michael Bendis at this point, but uh, I, I prefer Saladin's voice and tone for the story. So uh, this very much feels like a, a Spider-Man book. Um, you know, the pacing, the art in this issue is excellent. Uh, we did see Miles get a new costume last issue uh, in kind of the aftermath of, of his version of the Clone Saga. I'm not a big fan of the costume. It, first of all, it's not skin tight. It's baggy and it just doesn't look right to me. Uh, to me, Spider-Man should always have a skin tight costume but that's just my preference uh and i will say the the villain that comes after miles and his girlfriend um i really he's one of my favorites he's one of my favorite um one of my favorite villains so it was great to see this guy show up and try to take out miles and and tiana so yeah if you're not reading miles morales spider-man uh and you're reading like amazing spider-man but you you kind of hope that Amazing Spider-Man gets back to that sort of classic fun escapism feel that Amazing Spider-Man had for years and years. Give Miles Morales Spider-Man a try because it's definitely easy to jump on, easy to to root for Miles, and there's fantastic art um, in this issue. So I I do recommend uh, Miles and, and the perfect time to jump on with this new arc. So. Uh, all right. Up next, Jay has Kang the Conqueror number three from writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Great art by Carlos Magno. We have Espin Grujurchin on colors and Joe Caramagna on letters. Uh, what would you think of this one, Jay? It's uh, been a fun ride. It's just interesting to see, uh, you know, Kang as a young Kang and, you know, uh, as he goes through time, and seeing how he becomes, you know, what he is and, you know, trying to fix uh, some of the mistakes he made. The thing that's uh, always kind of sad, though, is like he seems to always fall in love very easy, but it always gets taken away from him in some form or another. But it's always himself taking it away from him. So I guess he's never supposed to love. 
so it's interesting. It, um, but from the last issue, we had um, him have some help from Apocalypse to, I guess, hibernate during time. And we know it's later, and I guess it's in the 40s, I guess, because uh, we know that because the radio's playing in the background. We see the clothes and the vehicles, and they're talking about, you know, an old Avenger returned from the dead. So, I mean, you can kind of tell who that is. But then he uh, faces himself again, um, the new Kang and the older Kang, I guess. But uh, we also have a surprise visit from another villain that tries to, you know, get in the mess of it all. It's good. There's a lot of dialogue going in there. I don't want to get too much of what's going on because yeah, I will if I talk about it. But the ending's really good because you're thinking, okay, what now? Because he did what he I did, he what he was set to do. That he wanted to do this, you know, from the from the get go, and he finally did it. But how's that going to change or you know corrupt the past? Because he goes back uh, to Egypt, uh, but it seems like he just repeats history because you know it's all it's like back to the, the same old story again. But we get surprised at the end of, from an old flame. I'm, I'm like, okay, what's going on here now? So it's so much time travel. You kind of have to read it kind of twice to kind of figure out the timeline that's going on with the story. Yeah, when the series came out, I thought, okay, well, they're finally doing a Kang series that somebody who wants to know about Kang can read and make sense of it all. Because Kang's, Kang's like the Hawkman of, of Marvel. You know, like Hawkman's over at DC with this crazy convoluted history that's impossible to follow. And the Marvel equivalent of that is Kang because he's been Kang. He's been Rama Tut. He's been Immortus. He's been the Scarlet Centurion all at different times, been multiple Kangs and it, it's impossible to follow his storyline. And so, yeah, you think, okay, they're going to clean it up and make it easier to follow. Um, and, and this, this version of Kang that we're introduced to in, in the first issue is learning from an older version of Kang to not make the same mistakes and not make the same choices, but it's almost like these writers are trying to turn Kang into this tragic figure where no matter what choices he makes, the end result ends up the same. And he, he like you said, he ends up alone and, and in just in a bad, in a bad situation. And so I think it's going to be one of those series where at the end, he ends up just exactly where he was at the beginning of this, you know, the, the young Kang will end up exactly where he would have had he made the same choices no matter what choices he makes it's almost like his his destiny or his fate is set so no matter what he does he's always going to end up like the old bitter uh <laughs> kang that you know is all alone uh like you said like he's he's just destined to never have love <laughs> so it's but i still think he, you know and you would think if if the story is just gonna end up being a loop then it doesn't have value but i would argue against that because this is at least giving us insight and making it's adding layers to Kang that have never been there before. He's always been a bit of a mustache twirling villain and his motivations were never really other than he wants to rule all time. Like, well, why, why, you know, what's the, what's the point of that? Um, so at least they're giving him motivations and the art from Carlos Magno is freaking fantastic. It's so good. So oh, yeah, it's definitely good. Yeah. But yeah. I was like you said, I just wanted to know more about the characters, so I thought they were going to try to explain more, and they kind of are, but they're not really. It's well, kind of different. It's a little different than what I thought there was, yeah. it was going to be. Very different, but yeah. it's just interesting to follow you know, his timeline of what, of how he becomes. Well, that's, who he the is. Pro- that's the problem with Kang. Like no matter what you do, he jumps through time so much um, that it's just so convoluted. How can you ever really make sense of it? But you know, the whole reason this series even exists right now is because he's going to be in the mcu uh soon so 
Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm going to talk real briefly about the last issue of Gamma Flight. So this spins out of the Immortal Hulk series that uh, Al Ewing uh, wrote that I was just talking about at the beginning of the show. Uh, so Gamma Flight, part five of five, it's written by Al Ewing and Crystal Frazier as co-writer. Lana Medina handles the art, Antonio Fabella on colors, Joe Sabina does the letters. And this is basically Gamma Flight and the uh, resolution of, of Dell and Rick Jones, who've sort of been fused together. If you've been reading Immortal Hulk, you know all about that. And you know about these other members of Gamma Flight, uh, Titania and Absorbing Man and Doc Samson, but in the body of Sasquatch and then Puck, of course. And they were uh, supposedly recruited by the government to form Gamma Flight by Henry Peter Gyrich and capture the Hulk. And then when they sort of, they were able to capture the Hulk, but instead of turning them over, they started to work with them. And so then they were branded as traitors and they've kind of been on the run from the government. And so um, they're sent out to, they, they take it upon themselves to go out and try to capture other gamma mutates to help them. Um, Cause gamma seems to be, you know, from the Al Ewing uh, storyline in Immortal Hulk, it, gamma seems to be a mixture of science and magic, which is kind of a new aspect of it. And that gets back to the whole man or monster sort of thing. Uh, so this series, does, you'll get a lot more out of the gamma flight series if you read uh, Immortal Hulk, but when they went to capture this gamma uh, mutate, they uh, they discovered that she was tied into General 14. Uh, General 14 is actually her, her dad, the, her, the character's named Dion uh, or Stockpile. And once they just, they don't just capture her. I mean, there's an initial fight because she thinks they are there to hurt her, but then they eventually befriend her. And then we realize and learn that she's General 14's daughter. And this conspiracy is uncovered that the government had been um, kind of a shadow group of the government had been running these experiments, uh, infecting people with gamma to sort of experiment on them. And so this wraps up all those storylines and it sort of gives freedom to gamma flight because they can use the knowledge of what the government was doing to it's implied, but they can use that knowledge to blackmail the government and sort of be out on their own. So um, I'm glad that, this aspect and these characters uh, of Gamma Flight, because that story started in Immortal Hulk and there probably wasn't enough room to tell their story in Immortal Hulk, that they got their own five-issue series to uh, to kind of flesh out their story. Um, although in, in the end, I don't know that it was absolutely necessary because it doesn't really put them on any path forward. You kind of, it, it resolves this portion of the story but then you're left to okay so do they go their separate ways do they stick together as gamma flight like what happens next so i do feel like it was um it was worth reading because the art by lan medina is fantastic and i do love the interactions between the characters i especially like the way al ewing and crystal frazier write absorbing man he's much more of a anti-hero as opposed to kind of the meathead villain he always uh was previously when i read him so a lot of a lot of good in the series, but at the end of the day, I do have to kind of question, like, I mean, the cynical part of me would say, well, the only reason they did it is because these are characters from Immortal Hulk that enough people were interested in their story and Immortal Hulk is popular. So spin it out and sell another series. Um, 
because at the end of the day, it's sort of, even though this was a, a fun story and I did enjoy it, um, I don't think that it's super memorable or it's going to have a long lasting impact going forward on the Hulk or on a mortal Hulk or on, you know, any re- real part of the Marvel universe going forward, unless somebody picks up these characters later and does something with them, which is entirely possible. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing that, like I said, especially this version of the absorbing man, which is, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, okay. Last book I'm going to talk about, uh, and I'm just going to talk about it real briefly because I'm going to do a spotlight on it that goes into detail with spoilers and whatnot, but I wanted to mention it because it came out on Tuesday, actually, uh, just like last week. Uh, it's a comicsology original, and just like last week, Scott Snyder is putting out uh, an original book uh, for the first three Wednesdays of October. Comicsology is calling it Scott-tober. If you followed along the news at New York Comic Con at all, it was a big thing. They've given out posters and pins and whatnot at the Comicsology booth. Um, so this is the second one. The first one was last Tuesday, uh, collaboration with his longtime um, comic creative partner, Greg Capullo. We have demons. It was very bombastic. And if you're curious to learn more about that, go check out the comic source on uh, YouTube, or you can listen to the podcast version. Rocky and I covered it in detail. This week's title is called Clear. Uh, and it's this time it's written by Scott Snyder, and his collaborator on it is Francis Manipal, who is uh, an artist and storyteller who I'm a big fan of. You may know his work from Legion of Superheroes over at DC. He was uh, one of the writers and artists on The Flash when it relaunched uh, from the New 52. So super talented creator. And uh, this was a really, really good story. So I talked a lot when uh, we reviewed We Have Demons about how I loved the idea that Scott kind of melded mysticism or faith or religion with, with science and did a great job of marrying those two concepts. I don't know if he's doing this thing on purpose where he's getting two really cool ideas and sort of mashing them together. But in this one, he's doing it again with two really cool ideas that that work really well together that you might not necessarily think to put together. So the whole idea of clear is it's this future world where, you know, as technology in our own world is becomes more and more ubiquitous, it's all around us. It's taken even one step further in the world of clear. So there are what's called veils, uh, which is basically a skin you can put on the world so that when you walk around and look at the world, it looks a certain way. So if you're a big fan of like cartoons, the world looks like a cartoon to you. Um, if you're a big fan of 1940s, you can make everything look like the 1940s. If you love The Walking Dead, you can make the world look like, you know, it's filled with zombies. And so that's basically what it is. Um, and because of this, because people get to view the world as they want with these veils, they're called, um, people tend not, first of all, you tend not to see the world as it really is or experience things as they really are. And so then you care less and less about actual real stuff that's happening in the world. Um, And so it leads a little bit to some complacency and despondency. And so, uh, and it's a little bit of a a commentary on technology kind of removing the inner, the human interaction between people and how that can kind of degrade a society. So that that's one half of the idea that's really interesting to me. The other part of the story, the main character of the story, Sam Dunes, is this sort of hard-boiled Norish detective. And he, the, and this is where the title of the series comes from, 
he always keeps the skin unclear. He wants to see the world as it is. And he sees how things are getting worse and worse because now when you build new things, new infrastructure, roads, bridges, uh, trains, train stations, buildings, they're just very drab. Like why spend money or why spend effort on trying to build things that look cool, you know, architecture wise or design wise, if people aren't going to see them as they are anyway, they're just going to skin over them with a veil. So, but he there's something in him that wants to see the world as it really is. Um, and so he keeps his setting on clear all the time. And we meet him in this story. And like I said, he's a private detective and he's very much in that uh, sort of role of the hard boiled, cynical, you know, gumshoe detective from Norish films and novels and, and what have you. And I just love that, that Scott's taking something that's super old that I, that genre that's been around forever of this sort of, you know, lonely burnout, cynical, jaded, uh, investigative person. And he's mashing it up with this crazy idea of technology in the far, far future that has become so ubiquitous that it's the way people see the world. So again, I have no idea if, if all of the, uh, comicsology original titles, are going to be like this where, where two ideas are mashed together and melt. Probably not. It's probably just a coincidence, but that was the thing I was struck with. And uh, again, the Francis Manipole art is absolutely fantastic. As you can imagine, it's got to be really fun for Francis to get to draw all these. I mean, sky's the limit on what he can draw, right? Because people have all these different veils. So Francis can draw whatever he wants in terms of background and, and settings. Cause it's like, Oh, this person's going to see the world like this. This person's going to see the world like that. So you can tell he's having a lot of fun and the passion comes through and I uh, love the voice that uh, Scott is giving us with, uh, with Sam Dunes. And so I can't wait to see where it goes. Um, again, I'll be doing a spotlight where I go into detail uh, more and uh, spoil things. So again, go and check it out. Uh, just like with, we have demons. If you have Amazon prime, you can read all the comicsology. Uh, originals for free. So just go to Amazon and do a search for clear, probably type clear comiXology and it'll come up and you'll be able to read it. Um, or if you have a comiXology unlimited account, it's free that way. The third way you can get it is you can go to uh, Amazon. And even if you don't have Amazon prime, if you type uh, clear comiXology, you can buy the single uh, issue for $4.99. Now, Scott himself is like, that's not a good deal. Please don't do that. It's probably better for him because he makes more money, but that's not what he wants you to do because for the price of two of these issues, you can get the subscription. The subscription to Amazon or the subscription to Comixology Unlimited is only $8.99 a month. And it gets you not only all the Comixology originals, but all the other books that are on Comixology you know, there's tons of stuff on there. Batman, Dark Knight uh, Returns and, and Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. Like there's tons, there's thousands and thousands of books there from Marvel and DC and a bunch of other uh, publishers. So that's your best value. Uh, unless you like, like myself, you already have Amazon Prime because your wife orders a bunch of stuff to be delivered to your porch every day. Um, but anyway, Clear is fantastic. It's really good. Gets my highest recommendation. Completely a different feel from We Have Demons. Uh, but I, I was really impressed. So, and I know Jay's going to go and, and check it out soon. He hasn't, he's got Amazon prime, but didn't know. So he'll be reading it soon. And we'll have to, I'll have to remember to ask you next week, what you think about, uh, go read, we have demons and clear, and then we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit next week. All right. 
Uh, okay, let me give a rundown on some of the other books that you might want to be on the lookout for today. Uh, fortunately, no Aftershock books, because uh, like I said, they had one that was supposed to come out but was delayed. Uh, but I did want to mention Telepaths, number two of six from AWA, which is set in that world of the resistance from uh, J. Michael Straczynski, which is sort of their connected superhero universe. From Bad Idea, we have Monster Kill Squad, number two of four. I think that's going to hit shops today. I'm not sure. I know Bad Idea has been having to delay some of their books because of the paper shortage, but I think it's supposed to be coming out today. Uh, we're up to issue 12 on Power Rangers from uh, Boom Studios over at uh, DC. And again, you can go listen to uh, to our uh, DC Spotlight and hear all about these books. We have Batman 89, number three of six. We have Batman the Imposter, number one of three, which is a Black Label book, which is absolutely fantastic. Batman Urban Legends, number eight, with a really cool um, outsider story and a really cool Batwoman story. Uh, Booster or Blue and Gold, which is the Booster Gold and Blue Beetle uh, miniseries from Dan Jurgens. That's up to number three of eight. Future State Gotham, number six. Uh, Hardware Season One, number two, from uh, writer Brandon Thomas with great Dennis Cowan artwork. The Joker, number eight. Uh, I Am Batman, number two. Justice League, Last Ride, number six of seven, which was uh, rocking my favorite DC book of the week. It was just incredible revelations. Return of Dark Side, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, Pennyworth number three of seven, which is very similar to the Pennyworth TV show from the Epics uh, streaming channel. Strange Adventures number 12, which finishes off the latest collaboration between uh, Tom King and Mitch Garrods. Doc Shaner joins them on that as well. Uh, Superman and the Authority number four of four, which finishes off the Grant Morrison Superman and the Authority story. Uh, Titans United number two of seven, and then Wonder Woman number 780, which features Diana's return to, uh, to Earth. Uh, over at Image, like I said, there wasn't a lot of, uh, of Image books this week, and we talked about most of them, but there's also uh, Homesick Pilots, number 10, Man Eaters the Curse, number four of five. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books we talked about, Avengers, number 49. There's a new Black Panther miniseries called Black Panther Legends, number one of four is out. Uh, Eternals Forever, number one, which I, I tried to read, but I'm not that big of a fan of the Eternals, and it it just didn't grab me. There's a bunch of Eternal stuff out right now, and again, it's only because of the movie, right? Like these Eternals have been around forever, and they've never been able to sustain a series. So I don't know. It feels like Marvel's trying to uh, shove them down our throats, kind of like they did the Inhumans at one point, and I just wasn't having it. Uh, we've also got uh, Shang Chi, number five, Star Wars. Dr. Aphra, number 15, Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters, number five of five, Symbiote Spider-Man Crossroads, number four of five, and then in the X-Men corner of the Marvel Universe, X-Force, number 24, and X-Men, number four. Uh, over at Titan, we have Life is Strange, Settling Dust, number one of four, as well as Blade Runner Origins, number seven, and at Valiant uh, Ninjak, number four. Uh, anything else that, well, actually, I should also mention uh, Engine Word number 12 with great art by Joe Isma, uh, and also Wasted Space number 24 from uh, writer Michael Morisi. Anything else that I didn't mention that you wanted to give a shout out to, Jay? Yeah, I was just sure if you mentioned the IDW has got the Star Trek, the Mirror War, so it's going to be with Picard. So I was kind of looking forward to that. I like that Mirror World uh, whole saga, oh, so yeah, it, should, yeah. it, should, it should be kind of fun. And yeah. uh, Star Wars Mirror Universe, where the bad guys always have goatees. 
Oh yeah, I love it. <laughs> but uh, my book of the week will have to be uh, Dark Cold Iron Man because it was so uh, creepy. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I have to give my book of the week to Clear Man. That that thing just blew me away. I mean, th- there were a lot of great books this week. Don't get me wrong, but I, I was really, yeah, I was really digging on that. Um, just a, a really cool concept, a really fun mashup uh, between two different uh, crazy ideas. But yeah, a lot of great books this week. Again, go listen to our DC Spotlight if you want to hear more about the DC books. Um, and yeah, get out to your comic shop and uh, and check out uh, the books that are out this week. There's some really good stuff. So, uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. As always, we want to thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.